welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode 57 with your hosts, Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Ray Herto, HRV Homes. Mark Svatsky, Choose Boston. And joining us today is... Tim Roman. How you doing, guys? From Imperial Kitchen and Bath. What's going on, Tim? I'm much glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to get you on for a while now, so it's finally happening. What'd you you have for lunch today, Tim? (laughs) I asked because I want to share what I had for lunch. I went to 7-Eleven and I got two pieces of 7-Eleven pizza and a Jamaican beef patty. That is disgusting. You were Uh, going to get sick. This is worse than me. The pizza was really good, though. It was... Mark, are you okay? (laughs) I think you need to take a COVID test. No offense. (laughs) Your your, your sense of taste is gone. (laughs) What I have is... I hear that's a symptom. Yeah. (laughs) So we never heard what Tim had for lunch if he wants to share. Yeah. I didn't even get there now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, you haven't even eaten? Typical day for you, Tim? Normal day in the office. I'm going to have a, uh, an ice, icicle pop right here on the pod. <laughs> like, a, like an elementary kid. Very, it's very sexual for our listeners who can't see the Zoom video. The way you're eating that is just... Okay, this podcast is officially going to get... And the banned. way it's dripping off of your chin <laughs> okay, is okay. really weird. <laughs> we should start a YouTube channel just for this episode. Okay. So let's continue right, forward. Well, let's plow back ahead Back to the here. video and the, uh, you know. <laughs> let's plow Tim, ahead. The, ba- the backdrop in your Zoom video uh, is, is a gorgeous vanity. I recognize it immediately. Yeah, we have used it in one of our projects. Did we lose Ray? No, I just turned off my video so you don't watch me eat the popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> Let's proceed. Uh, Ray, keep doing it, man. Please. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't deprive me. We are putting the cart before the horse, as they say. Tim, give us a quick uh, overview of Imperial Kitchens and Baths. And uh, yeah. maybe a little brief history of yourself, too. Yeah, for sure. So basically, we are located in Edgewater, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. We're kitchen cabinetry, bathroom cabinetry dealer first. And we now started to dabble in some plumbing and tile as well. Really, my background is kitchen and bath, uh, your Fergusons and Blackmans and, you know, of the world. And I've kind of worked my way up from kitchen showrooms to plumbing showrooms and put this model together. And really, our specialty is B2B. So we specialize in helping developers, uh, real estate flippers, investors, contractors, designers put together kitchen and bath packages on their behalf, for them, with them, for their clients, you know, in whatever capacity that we are allowed to do that in. And that's kind of been our go-to. So we really have almost a non-existent retail client base and it's all uh, trade relationships. So what's it like for developers to get samples of bathroom vanities these days? (laughs) And if you were a hypothetical host of a real estate podcast, could you get one? (laughs) You definitely could. You know, like usually these guys shove these things down our throats. Ever since COVID hit, like everyone just hatch it down. And, you know, it was just like, you're not getting anything. Whatever you got, make it work, chop it down, (laughs) sell it and resell it. And it's just been awful because, you know, most of the stuff that we do for developers, spec home builders is usually lower to mid-end stuff. It's never really extremely high-end. And the majority of that product is import. So obviously COVID directly affected that, you know, chain for us. 
can imagine. Yeah. What's kind of the lead times been like since all this hit? What were the lead times and what are they now? Uh, yeah, so we do both. We have national and we import. The national guys are just kind of the ones we partnered up with. I think we're lucky to have really big distribution centers and just kind of whatever stock that they were sitting on, they either raised their prices a little bit or just kind of were a little bit more careful with the wholesale division and pulled back on that and really just kind of let the retail go so they're not completely depleted their inventory. So the domestic stuff, not much. It's really just the the shipping itself that was delayed. You know, your FedExes, UPSs, the freight companies. Import-export stopped completely. We haven't imported anything since December of last year. That's brutal. Yeah, we, we got a quote on a 20-foot container that normally would cost us about $2,000 from Spain, Germany, or Italy, door-to-door to the port in New Jersey. And now it's about $5,000. So have you just stopped all of your overseas your distribution from overseas, it's all kind of domestic stuff now? The import stuff from Germany, Italy, Spain was really the higher end. It's more custom home builder, designer products. So we have few in between of our normal projects. So it didn't account for a lot of our business, but we had to quickly just kind of pivot as fast as we could. And we went to Canada, which was the closest source that we could find that could produce really good high-grade furniture-like cabinetry that can get very close to the likes of, you know, the really high-end European brands. Mm. Plus, they're really friendly. They're friendly. They really hate us. (laughs) The French Canadians are like dealing with Europe. So that hasn't changed at all. They're very slow. They take a siesta every 30 minutes. And um, they don't understand why we're so loud, fast, and obnoxious, and we need everything yesterday. So are you also, so you said you started dabbling in like the plumbing side of things as well. Like what, are you stocking the typical brands like Growy and and things like that? Or are you, what is your kind of niche in that market? Yeah, so our model is new vendors that we offer and have relationships with, but we have really deep relationships with these few vendors. And that kind of, you know, is a two-way street. We have buying power, the vendors really like us and we're in their top 10. And, you know, we really didn't want to do anything outside of our specialty, which is cabinetry. But the system and the model works so well, the B2B model, us kind of putting together these concierge handholding packages for developers where normally they have to go to a kitchen guy and a tile guy and a plumbing guy separately. Um, we started to get clients asking us like, hey, could you point me in the right direction for tile, for plumbing, because you, do, you guys do a really good job at customer service. And essentially, that's when it clicked. And we're like, you know what? We're really not like a product company. We should really be thinking about this as like a customer service company. And then whatever we end up funneling through our system that works, so be it. So that's why we're kind of now testing other channels now that we've really kind of nailed down the cabinetry part to see if we can make you know other categories work as well. Give you guys a compliment. You seem to also have like a very good interior design sense. So I feel like when I call or I come to you with just like a really rough idea of what I want, kind of help lead the decision-making process and uh, it's helpful. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's just because we work with so many designers, we kind of, to their credit, we just, you know, take mm-hmm. a, little, a little bit from there and then you just kind of get used to it. You know, what people really like and don't like. You're, you're equally good at this. You know, like, hey, wall-mounted vanity probably gives a better 
effect and a sex appeal, right? And mm-hmm. cooler versus like your traditional corbel style. Easier um, to clean below if you're going to mop your bathroom, which I don't typically do. Yeah. In, in theory. That's it. So is it just yourself or do you have a team? How many people do you have now? When, how, long ago, how long ago did you start? When did you start the business? This is, uh, so we kind of, we started really going aggressive end of 17, beginning of 18. Okay. Going on our third year now. It's four of us now. So we have three in-house and one is virtual. And that's our, we just have an assistant kitchen designer because there's really no need for a person like that to be in-house really with things like Slack and Evernote and Asana. You know, it's all just like they are sitting next to us. So it's, it's four now. Nice, nice. I just started using Loon. Have you guys seen this? Yeah. This I've never L- heard of Loon. L-O-O-N. And you like, you record what's going on on your screen and there's a little thumbnail of you, like a video and, and there's a mic going. So if I'm trying to walk Dan through a pro forma or something, I'll just spin around the spreadsheet, zoom in. I'd be like, and in this cell, here's what's happening. And anyway, when you click end, it pumps out a link and you could just send that back to Dan. Yeah, that's like screen recording. Um, yeah. We do that with our designers all the time. I find like with our world, it's so much easier to communicate with that type of style than, you know, narrative paragraph prose. Yeah. Because there's so much that could be misinterpreted. People call things differently, right? Like mm-hmm. literally a guy in Boston might refer to a wall mount, the toilet differently than a guy in California, differently than a guy in New York. Mm-hmm. So like having these visual tools and seamless kind of streamlined technology just kind of takes the gray out of it. Because, you know, in our world, like kitchens being our specialty, you know, we sometimes put in an order for two to three kitchens a day. So you're checking 50, 60 detailed SKU numbers a day. And if, you know, you forgot to finish a side or make a drawer face higher, you need to quickly be able to communicate that to like the drafts person so he could edit that. So then we could quickly send that same info together to the factory. And within like 15 minutes, we could have a really, what normally is a complex change that might take like 72 hours in the traditional world done in like real time. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Is your typical buyer or customer developers, designers? So you don't really work with end buyers at all. Right, exactly. Unless they're kind of just accidental, as we call them. You know, they're either right. just us on Instagram and just really like what we do and are okay waiting in line, sort of, because they realize that we're not retail first. I would say about 10%, 5 to 10% is, is retail for us. And are you focused primarily in New York, New Jersey, or are you... Yeah, well, you know, we've got you guys, right? Yep. So we've got some... We've done a couple of other small projects in that area. We have a client in Miami that we constantly feed vanities and cabinetry to. Trinidad and Tobago. That's a yeah. pretty, pretty cool. Really? Yeah. You do, you do job site visits? Yeah, if I could, I'd love to. I've, you know, it's no. like a three-hour flight or something, right? I mean, just if you could fly, it just makes me sad. So sketchy, man. It's awful. So what are some of the trends that you've been seeing? You know, I always feel that Boston is so traditional compared to the rest of the country. And we're always last to pick up like the trends. I feel it's like LA or West Coast and it's like New York, Miami, you know, and Boston is always just like last to kind of incorporate the the new trends in the market. So what are you kind of seeing? Obviously, you know, European cabinetry is is huge, like the whole frameless stuff. 
is becoming really popular, especially. Although, although I find that everyone says European cabinetry. It's like the first thing in any listing. I'm like, that's I like, use it. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it works. It's crazy. It is definitely geo-based for sure. Like, so I think it has a lot to do with just like history of the real estate itself. And, you know, it's hard to fight it in some neighborhoods, even though like, like we'll have, we literally just had a conversation with a, a spec home builder in Brooklyn and he's in Dumbo and there's just a row of beautiful, you know, red brick townhomes. And he's just like, I'd love to just rip this down and just flatten it out. And I'm like, but you can't, you know, you're going to be that guy. Like, why would you, right? So as much as he loves to, he can't. And the neighborhood is just won't accept it. So in situations like that, it's really hard to, you know, go around it. But for the most part, I feel like because there's a generational shift and the buying powers in the hands of like the millennials versus the baby boomers, that is driving the more modern sort of tech-friendly you know, maintenance-free, eco-friendly materials that are now all these vendors are like trying to produce as fast as possible because they were kind of asleep at the wheel and things were just haven't been re-engineered for a long time. So now you're starting to see like, you know, really the touchless faucets are going to become huge from now on, you know, and before they were only used in like restaurant or airport bathrooms, right? Wall-mounted toilets with like, you know, sensor actuators, like all these things are going to become like a norm for some people. So I feel like modern is definitely a big driver. But if you really look as like as a whole, I think like the meetings that we do with our cabinetry group, our buying group, it only accounts for like 15% of the business nationally. So it's still a very, very small portion of the market because it is only in New York, only in LA, only in Miami. Now we're starting to see like Austin, Denver, Seattle, you know, all your tech booming kind of friendly areas that are starting to boom. And Boston's definitely quickly turning over, I feel like, for the same reasons, because it's just younger, sexier, and the vibe itself and the culture usually drives everything else. So that's why even in Manhattan now, like not so much in Dumbo, where it's a lot more history, but like some areas like Nomad and, and Tribeca, there's areas where it's like you'll have a super traditional you know, townhome and then those would be a fox right next to it. So that's because someone just didn't care and was like, I want modern and, you know, this is it. So I think it's it's still very fresh and it's only going to be in the major cities for, for a while, but it's definitely, you know, spreading out very quickly. You also don't see it much in the suburban markets either, though. It's The suburban markets are very either transitional or traditional, right? You don't see a lot of super modern in, in the suburban markets. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see kind of where things yeah. land. I just feel that like, I really like the modern look, but I just feel that it gets dated so quickly. One of my architect uh, friends, his name is uh, Jonathan Garland. We're chatting about a building in my neighborhood and it's super contemporary. I think it's super cool. And he goes, yeah, but it's kind of like, bell bottoms. He's like, that building in five years is going to just scream 2020. And he's like, and it isn't like a pair of trousers that you could just take your belt off and swap. He's like, that's building forever. So think carefully. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's so true. Only like modern we see in the suburbs, a young couple that just, you know, is on their second kid, but they're still young. And they're gut renovating their home in the middle of a very traditional old suburban neighborhood, but they are infusing it with some touches of what they left behind, 
you know, whether it's New York City or Boston or LA and Miami, that we're seeing a lot of. So again, I think it's going to kind of, you know, the people are just going to infuse it little by little as, as real estate turns over and, you know, more of a, more, more of the generational shift happens. But I think more than that, what we're noticing is the demand for like smart and maintenance free more than like modern. That's become like number one right now, obviously. It was kind of already starting to be a conversation last year. Like all the trade shows we went to, everyone was pushing nanotech and it's maintenance free and it's solid surface this. And, you know, we don't want to use wood and not, not just for like renewable and like meaning recyclable material standpoint, just because it's better, right, for, for us, right, for the human beings. It's healthier. And, you know, that is like a crazy conversation all year because it's just been like spun upside down. So what kind of technologies are they are they putting in kitchens? Obviously, like you have the smart faucets and all that stuff, and a lot of appliances are becoming Wi-Fi. But from like a purely, like, are there any stuff that's being integrated into the cabinetry itself? There's one brand that we just started working with, a German company, their second oldest company in Germany. And they basically, so, so far, you can only get nanotech doors, fingerprint-free sort of, bacteria can grow on it. It's got silver ion particles. You know, they claim a whole bunch of stuff. That's only been available for doors, whether it's furniture, vanities, or cabinetry. And that you could get from a few vendors already in the United States. It's basically some a material that, you know, everyone patents differently. And they claim that bacteria can grow on it. It's completely non-porous. You can just take a magic eraser if something stains it and it'll come right off. So what the German, this German company that we work with started doing that, essentially applying that to the entire box. So now they're claiming, hey, you know, your entire cabinet, the drawer, everything will be covered with this like antimicrobial surface veneer. It's super new. It's like, we really don't know anything about it yet, but it sounds cool. Just in case you want to lick your cabinet box. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I don't don't know. Leave it to the Germans, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right, here's one random question. Ray, go ahead, sir. No, no, go ahead. I was going to ask you about, we've been chatting about uh, some vanity options for a project that I'm working on. And uh, in the quote, you said, the medicine cabinets and the mirrors that are pictured with this are not included in the price. Do you find that the medicine cabinets and mirrors that come with the vanity are cheesy? Are they quality? Do you sell a lot of them? Or is that something that you would uh, take the vanity and leave the other piece? Yeah, it's, it's actually a really good question. I thought about this twice, maybe, and never had given it much thought. It's funny that you say that because it literally happens 99.9% of the time and the medicine cabinet is left behind. I think these guys originally make it, like they spend whatever the design capacity they have on the vanity. And then they're just like, oh man, we got 15 minutes left. We got <laughs> <it> quick. <laughs> so they whip it up. And like, it just gets left behind. I I don't know. I think they just really do that to just grow their average order value, honestly, and just make it easier for some. But if you're, you know, going back to like design and style, I think if you're giving a bathroom any more thought than a Home Depot trip, you're going to give the mirror, the light fixture equal, you know, consideration. And probably it's not going to be some plain looking, you know, mirrors. Well, that was a very candid answer. Appreciate that. <laughs> I thought you'd be more political with it. Like, I, I got to sell more mirrors. Here it is. But uh, I, I tend to agree with your answer completely. 
Yeah. And it's crazy because usually I started noticing the mirrors like on multi-units also. And I was like, well, who's doing the mirrors? I'm like, well, the glass guy. And I was like, really? Like, what is he, you know, charging for a mirror? They're like, oh, sometimes it's like 50 bucks. Sometimes it's 75. I was like, oh yeah, you can't beat that with a bat. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you're given, usually if you're giving them all the shower doors, they'll do the mirrors for pretty cheap. Yeah, exactly. Good enough. So let's talk about my favorite thing, the uh, costs of said kitchens and vanities. <laughs> Everyone wants to know. Everybody says, what's it cost to build a kitchen? And I mean- Spreadsheet, it, man. Obviously, it, it all depends on the size of it, but is there a way to kind of help somebody understand what a general kitchen may cost? Or is it literally so dependent on the panels and the box styles? And How long is a piece of string? Yeah. The spectrum has grown like crazy. No, but answer. I <laughs> I love to I love to say like, well, what's what's an approximate? I'm not gonna give you a price. No, no, give me give me a price. I, what does a kitchen cost? Well, I mean, you always hear it, right? It's like whenever you whenever someone's trying to like spin you a deal or 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 like say, oh, you know, it, it costs like 20 grand for kitchen all in, like cabinets, countertops, appliances, everything, right? So it's like, sometimes you're like, ah, it sounds like BS, but it's like, you know, what does a typical kitchen cost? Yeah, definitely. Um, talking, you know, small spaces, you know, 200 square foot kitchen or so, U-shaped, L-shaped, maybe a little galley or something. That could be a realistic number, you know? And also if, the, if we're talking like the starting point, which is not garbage, we're not Home Depot, we're just above that. So something that you would see in a spec home that would range from, I don't know, 600000 to a million. So that type of great product. I think that 20000 is a realistic budget because you could spend definitely under ten for the cabinetry all in with the hardware and the sink and the faucet. Countertops, if you, you know, take your time and shop around, maybe not go to the best brands right away and get some off-brand stuff because that's also been kind of spread in that industry. And you don't have to go to the Caesar Stone, South Stone, Cambrias right away. There's like all these other... Chinese and Brazilian companies anyways. So yeah, like that's a couple thousand and then the rest is for appliances. So, and the floor tile, right? So I think like that's probably like a good starting point to make it realistic for people because, you know, a lot of people to your point, like they'll hear 10 and they'll walk around with that. And they'll, every guy that they talk to like, well, this guy told me 10 and you know, it's, it's weird that you can't make it happen. And we're like, well, 10 sounds like it'll be just your cabinets. And then they're like, whoa, so I think 20 has been like the best you could probably do without going to Home Depot. And then you can obviously start chopping away and compromising and getting like really, really basic appliances. Really take the countertop down from like quartz to granite instead of like a mosaic backsplash, do some subway. And then I think you're in the teens for sure. But uh, now you're down to like rental quality stuff. <laughs> exactly. You definitely compromise the quality for sure. That brings me to the next question here, which is, well, what makes a good cabinet? I mean, obviously the boxes need to be, you know, that everything starts with the boxes, but then you have the paneling. You have all these accessories and you can have all these add-ins. You know, we had um, Revishelf on who does a lot of cabinetry uh, customizations and, and add-ons. So, you know, I guess, what would you say makes like a, a good cabinet when you're selecting items that you want to sell? What's your criteria? Yeah, I mean, I think cabinet the way we break it down is into three pillars. One is the box. So that's like your structural. Two is the hardware, which is any moving kind of component, mechanical component. And the third is the finish on the door. 
And really the way they're kind of made is actually that same way. The hardware is usually a third-party company. The doors are sometimes finished in-house. Sometimes factories are buying from somewhere else, but the box is usually made in-house. It all for us starts with the box because we've had stock lines that are, you know, borderline Home Depot grade that claim they were great and it's, you know, it's really good plywood and it's completely solid. And when we see, you know, two cabinets side by side from the same brand, they might be an eighth of an inch higher, you know, lower than the other guy. They're definitely not perfectly straight. You know, the way the plywood is put together, you could tell, you know, it was just really quickly done and kind of rushed. You could tell that it wasn't really, you know, there wasn't any quality control. So for us, it's like really like, where is this coming from? Is this just put together stuff from China? Was borderline Home Depot? Is it like a semi-custom line that is claiming that their raw materials is great, a quality, and it's from United States, and they have quality control, and it's all done in-house? So we really would just start asking those questions first before you get to the door and you know what hinges they use, uh, because that usually dictates the rest. So if it starts bad with the box, you know you can't expect the rest of it to be any better. But a company that takes pride in their construction and their quality of the way that they make their box, you know, borderline furniture grade, is the guys that are going to also use the better hinge and that are definitely going to have better quality control when it comes to finishing their doors. So, you know, I think the point is, a short-winded answer is definitely concentrate on the plywood and what the box is made out of. So no no melanie, no melamine, and go plywood. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, carcass. Melamine work has job, you know, and it's good for bathrooms, for bathroom vanities when it's completely laminated by a high-pressure laminate, not just Mm -hmm. the closed. we use it in kitchens for sure. Like you cannot get a plywood kitchen from Europe. Mm. Yeah. You know, the best and the most high-end brand is sending you a particle board, you know, high density board, medium density board box with a door. They don't believe in plywood. You're different. Well, everyone's got the experience where they lived in a rental and the uh, melamine was blistering, you know, when you open the, the door because uh, it doesn't do so well with water. But I have heard whether it's the sales or not, that the uh, technology has gotten much better. Yeah, yeah. That is much less of a problem. There's a reason. I mean, to give them credit, I mean, Europe's responsible for a lot of quality things, whether mm-hmm. it's automotive, you know, building materials, what have you. And I would think that there's a reason why they haven't just went all in on plywood because maybe the technology that they claim and tested works enough, you know, and maybe here we're maybe a little bit, our lifestyles are different. Mm-hmm. You know, the kitchens is different. You know, like, for example, in Europe, kitchens are modular. Like, it is normal to take your kitchen with you when you move. You know, that's unheard of in the United States. You know, it's just like a weird concept. How would you even make it work? It's a different layout. Like, or what would you do? You know, because there, everything is kind of like the Ikea concept. You know, it's all Legos. So you could probably just go get some additional cabinets from the guy you got yours from. And then there you go. Your kitchen's back up. So I think just two different worlds, but definitely plywood. And particle board is something that we don't sell a lot of. Multi-unit, very low-end applications when the price point is just the driver of the decision. Yeah, uh, we have like no choice. We go to particle board because it's much cheaper. Americans are way too individualistic to take a uh, panelized kitchen. One of the biggest issues that we've had with buying European kitchens is that we feel there's not they don't give you a lot of play in terms of leveling cabinets like with the feet 
and everything because a lot of construction in Europe is concrete or block and it's perfectly plumb, it's perfectly level. And we're putting stuff into 100-year-old houses here that's, you know, we're, most of our stuff here is stick-built. So we feel that sometimes, like, the feet they give you, they only go up and down, like, like a half, three-quarters of an inch. And if your floor is out of whack more than that, like, you could be in trouble. You're, you're like, shimming the bottom of the cabinets. <laughs> it's build like, better. what build. is going on? So that's have to build one of the biggest complaints. One of the biggest complaints that we've had with the European cabinets is like they make them perfect, but like they expect your construction to be perfect, and it's hard to like fit them in. Level your floors, bro. <laughs> yeah, should be should be better. Get that self leveler out there. You know, cut, just cut just cut some of the joists. You know, you're fine. That's like if I were to put you guys on a three way with the German factory, that is like the expected answer you would get from like their tech. Yeah, you would, you would be like, but tell them to make it straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who lives like this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's true though. They're obsessive. I mean, they really are. <laughs> the other thing that I know, Dan, you end up dealing with, and I'm sure Mark, you deal with the same thing. Like you've got everything installed, you've protected it as best you can, and then next thing you know, some contractors walked into it with their belt on or bumped into it with a screwdriver, a screw gun. So now you got a mark in it. So in addition to just some of your quality standards, and, and I know you mentioned that supply chain's been disrupted, you know, recently with everything happening. If you need to get extra parts or, you know, another panel quick for a customer that's got a closing coming up and there was some last minute damage to just a piece of the kitchen, how does that work? And is that part of your process in in selecting somebody? And can you get those things quickly if needed? Can I just say that on my last job, someone dragged a gas, they had they dragged a gas range that was on the floor and not set yet and just gouged this pre-finished engineered hardwood. Like quarter inch. Anyway. Yeah, I was like, see, Dick, it happens. I was like Dick Tracy on this project. I, I had an interrogation room. I was deposing people. You didn't have one of your cameras did you, inside? Did you, hang, did you handcuff them? I think I know who did it and he never admitted it. I think he's since died, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Wait, what? I should let this go. We had an issue. We had an issue where someone did that across. They took a toilet and they dragged it across. You know, this was it either limestone or soapstone tile, mm. and just marked the shit out of it. And it was clearly the plumber or one of his guys. Yeah. And they 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 claimed it wasn't them. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh. you can see the mark getting dragged <laughs> from where the toilet was to where the toilet like sits. Like okay, it's got like a fingerprinting kit and like a black light. <laughs> I took forensics in high school. And Dan even puts the RAM board down to protect the tile. They like ripped it off. Yes. Anyway, we digress. So back to the original question. If you need spare pieces, is that is that part of the consideration or is that easier or hard to get or it really de- is that another it depends kind of answer? That's actually something that I'd like to give myself a pat in the back and say that I thought of years ago when I was building out this model is normally a kitchen dealer has probably six to sometimes 10 different kitchen lines on their floor when you walk into their showroom. And that's normal because, you know, you've had this guy that does this, this guy that does that. We found two or three that do all of the above. And therefore we have really, really deep, again, strong relationships with them. So they make almost like exceptions for us. You know, we're on, you know, we get the CFO on the phone, we could get a GM to text message us. So parts like that, we usually get very 
aggressive on and overnight and FedEx. And we take a hit all the time on the shipping because again, this is like, you know, it's account management for us. You know, it's not just the transaction. So instead of saying, hey, you know, shit out of luck, you're going to have to wait a month, COVID, life sucks. We'd rather take a $30, $40, $50 hit. And our factory does the same. We'll get a door handled and, you know, really impress a developer. Because during COVID, we had plenty of those situations. And we actually had to bang out a 40-unit project in the middle of COVID. Like more. The first actual stint before the summer, like, cooled down, where it was, like, really aggressive. We were uh, we had to make a delivery in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Oh God, it was crazy. So it was you know this developer got caught kind of in the middle of this, but it's affordable housing, so they were able to continue as they were essential. And they're like, hey, you guys, it was us and another firm in the runnings for this bid. And there's two buildings, like it's kind of like looks like flat iron, but it's really two buildings. That shape like shape of an arrow. And it's just the first one that they started build out, 40-something units. And they're like, hey, the vendor that we had a bid with that we're actually going to give this to can't even get this stuff anymore because the factory that they were dealing with is straight from China. And it was like only import. And now they can't get it to like middle of the year. So automatically we get the bid. And I was like, we're going to make this happen. So, you know, I called everyone at the factory. You know, they were all working from home, literally still at this moment. And, you know, they're at like 30% capacity. And we were probably the only dealer out of their entire pool, like in this area that was actually active. So we were able to get this order in. We got rented trucks, like private trucks, because we couldn't get freight to do it, you know, white glove. So we rented trucks and went up to Boston straight from Georgia, where it was made. And hand, like, you know, we hired like literally guys off the street borderline to like help (laughs) unit by unit, organize the unit by unit. And you know, and then developer at the end of it was just like, we thought there was just no way in hell this was possible. Everyone was telling us we can't even get cabinets. So yeah, I think it's just, it's the relationships because as long as the vendor's in business and the factory's in business, there shouldn't be any reason for you to make some sort of an exception, especially during, you know, times like this, when you know it could mean a CO for this guy and he's carrying costs, could be in hundreds of thousands for some of these, you know, buildings. So, you know, we, we really speak that language. So we translate that on the pipeline versus just saying, hey, we're missing the filler. So we kind of throw that weight back down to our factory and it's a two-way street. We have the buying power that allows us to do that. They get plenty of business and, you know, we keep growing. You guys, did construction shut down during the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, completely. It's terrible. I guess I have one last question. So what's the warranty, a typical warranty on cabinets and things like that? Because we, we obviously give uh, builders, limited builders warranty when we sell the unit. But is there anything specific to the cabinets that is warranted as well? Yeah, so they'll, they'll have really long warranties for against manufacturer defect, right? <laughs> Just normal. So these are like your limited lifetime warranties, quote unquote. Whose uh, lifetime? Right. <laughs> So they'll have like, you know, 20, 25 year, 20 year, 15 year manufactured defect. But that really doesn't mean anything because a cabinet now is just going to fall apart by itself. So really the ones that matter is the finish and the hardware. Because hardware is third party, it's actually a very interesting conversation because most factories kind of, they don't throw their hands up 
but they just kind of po- point their finger towards that manufacturer. So what we have done is we have established relationships with these guys to make sure that it's, you know, it's good. But really, it's, it's the finish. You know, the hardware is rarely going to fail. And if it does fail, it's very easy to get, very easy to replace. The construction, which is manufactured defect, usually you would always spot it during installation. So, you know, you don't have to worry about it post-install. It's the finish that I would always recommend people pay attention to. Because the door, right? That's the it's like our face, right? That's the part that get hits with the elements of you know your daily lifestyle. So if it's a material that is very vulnerable, you know, it's somewhere in the fine print. I'm sure it says that you're signing your life away. So you just got to be very careful. And it's very small warranties on natural products, natural finished cabinetry, uh, painted, glazed. There's always waivers that cabinetry companies make a sign if we do custom stains or glazes. So I'd be careful. That's why, in a way, modern has been growing so much because it's all man-made. And it's just like, hey, this is a piece of plastic that looks like wood. We promise nothing's going to happen for 15 years. And people like that. Versus my high-end Canadian furniture-grade cabinet company makes me sign off. It's like I'm signing a mortgage whenever I place a really custom kitchen because they're like, you know, doors bigger than 36 inches may warp, sign here. This shaker still is too thin, might show cracks if it's good huh. weather, sign there. I've seen that. So it's like, you know, it's that's normal. But I would just say that you, you know, people have to be realistic, right? So that warranty doesn't really mean much, you know, if you're abusive, <laughs> right? What's the line from Tommy Boy? You guys remember this? No. You can get a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up a bull's ass, but wouldn't you rather take the butcher's word for it? Was it? No, wait, that is it. That is it. Yep. <laughs> I'll give you a warranty. <laughs> Sorry. All right, that's you a good write, segue. You should write that in when you have the, the, your buyer's sign, Mark. Right. <laughs> um, so underrated, overrated, or appropriately rated? I'll go first. Gary V. Appropriately. Really? Okay. Tell me more. A lot of people still don't know about him, I feel like. But in the community that he is known, it could feel like he's overrated because mm-hmm. the same. And I think the main reason why a lot of people say he's overrated is because it's the same message over and over. Um, it really hates him. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, Tim is like famous from uh, Tim was in Gary V's book. You are? Yeah. He'll sign your copy. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and and don't put words in my mouth. I don't hate him, but I find his message to be very repetitive. And he's like the modern day uh, Tony Robbins, right? With the little yeah. twist. The message is very, very, very basic. So for guys <laughs> like us, to be fair, it's like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Cool, you can come down, stop yelling, right? <laughs> I feel like he's responsible for all these kids now that are trying to get like selling shoes and, and baseball and, and other kind of trading cards back into, into style. I just feel like that's his latest push, which I don't get. I don't get it at all. You know, I'm not a shoe guy, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the shoe, the shoe <laughs> culture. It's just going to like segue into different things. Got to um, get those Air Jordans. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, I'll go. <laughs> White shaker cabinets. Um, over... Definitely, because it's just how much more can we do? But we always circle back to the conversation when a client is like, but I'm moving in 10 years, but I'm not sure if I want to commit to a two-tone or 
will gray be around in five years? Will blue be around in five years? So, you know, white, it's like, you know, it's like a white shirt, right? It's like, it'll go with anything. And you could pull it out of the closet 15 years later and still be like, all right, it's a white shirt. So it's, if you're just going for okay, it's very appropriate. If you're doing a designer product, it's overrated. You should definitely give it some more thought. So, I mean, I, I think that's kind of my split answer on that. That's a good answer. Yeah, I mean, is there any is there any style that's timeless? Kind of like, you know, always refer to subway tile, Dan, but is there a timeless cabinet? Wood tone, right? So like anything that is like, so anything natural has to be timeless because it just is. So your your wood tones, if done tastefully, should be timeless. It's just, you don't see a lot of it because we have a lot of Pinterest designers. We have a lot of, you know, just kind of Instagram designers, right? That are just slapping things together. But if you really were to, pull the designers that are still hand drawing, that are still like really artisans and like really are, you know, masters at their craft, they're not putting together shaker kitchens. You know, that's for There's so many levels now with cabinetry. You know, when, when I started in this industry, you had like four options, you know, like, hey, this guy makes stock, this guy makes semi, this is like semi-custom, and then you got like full custom. Now it's like whatever you want. Right. So it's in styles are changing. Fashion's always getting dragged into it. Lifestyle. So it's like, you know, the white is just a safe way to go for sure. But if you're, if you're looking to do a designer product, I would stay away from it. All right. I'll give you one. Uh, floating vanities. Underrated. Definitely underrated. I think the world needs to know about wall mounted vanities. I trust that the real estate addicts crew will help me spread the word. <laughs> little, there's a few things to know on the install. Tim's been very helpful with that. Yeah, block your wall. Yeah. 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 And get it. your plumbing the right. Plumbing. Yeah. Plumbing, yes. The heights. Yeah. And the drawer. And the drawer works. versus the drain and the doors. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Touchless hardware, like push to open. Overrated. To come out with a, with a, like one of these brands, Bloom, Hatfell, Hetage, Leche, one of these guys. Needs to come out with one that actually works well mm. and doesn't want like make you want to smash it after three times clicking it and it doesn't close. Yeah. You like clicked it too fast and it like thinks you want to reopen it now and you're like having a battle with yeah. it. And you just want to smash it. That's my take on it. I really only do them wherever we just absolutely have to. When it's like a multi unit and they can't afford an integrated handle, you know, we'll do something like that. Or back at back of an island. You know, you don't want to put handles, right? So people, yeah. and I do push open that, uh, you know, because you're, you're not opening them as, as frequently. But with smart, I feel like it just gets annoying. And, you know, like I'll like that click, 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 click. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one for me. Medicine cabinets that get recessed into the wall. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely recessed. What about lighted medicine cabinets? Like L- integral LED? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. The LED look is... Now, back to the vanities with the mirror. Every time we do a package now, we take out that mirror and we, like, 70% of the time are adding an LED because the price of those come way down. Yeah. Um, you know, with the influx of all the Chinese stuff. You know, Robert used to charge, like, 800 bucks. for oh, 1000 Easy. For, like, a basic one. Yeah. Now, like, defogger, nightlight... You know, different K settings, like 3K, 4K, are like 150 bucks, you know? Yeah, we've been, we've been putting those in in a lot of our projects recently. 
Plus, you know what's great is you don't need to worry about lining up a light fixture at the right height centered over the mirror. It's like throwing a beach ball in the ocean. Just get the wire anywhere behind this mirror. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like I love that analogy. Throw a beach ball in the ocean. <laughs> I can't even do that. I'm so bad at free throws. The only thing I don't like about the, the, the recessed medicine cabinets is that, you know, so many times I'll go, I mean, I guess it's just, in a new build, it's okay. But like, whenever I have a rental or I'm doing it and I have to remove one or replace one, you're never going to find one that ha- is the exact same size that fits in that little hole thing, right? So I feel like I'm always either cutting open walls or just covering it up and, and mounting a mirror because it's like, they can, be, they can be pain in the ass when you have to replace them. Yeah, that, that's what we call in our office, design compromise. <laughs> <laughs> Today is November 5th. My overrated, underrated is... The Electoral College. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Overrated. Like, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just, I guess I have like an outsider's point of view because I could say so. I'm an immigrant, like firsthand. You know, I came here 22 years ago. So relatively still fresh. I was 13, you know. So I got to kind of. Where, where are you from? Where are you from? You have no accent. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, worked hard. Jersey squeezes it out, squeezes it out of you. <laughs> like, as soon as you land, it's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Everything's legal in New Jersey. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's crazy to see this country the way it is right now because, you know, like, I would never imagine it. And to hear, like, relatives and others that I speak to outside, you know, to get their perspective, uh, like a bird's eye view, it, it's, it's kind of like, it's weird. It's very eerie. You know, it's almost like a conversation that I don't, I don't even like try to get into because it's, it's got so much emotional baggage this year attached to it. And I've literally watched people that are close friends get into like heated arguments and not speak this entire week, probably. That's for damn sure. So yeah. you answering that question because I wouldn't have. <laughs> so, I feel like it's literally it's whoever, whoever's happy with the result that who that's who likes the college. And then when they don't like it, they don't like the college. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I've always thought it should be popular vote. It's just, yeah. I it's mean, a truer form of democracy. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a flawed system that goes without saying, but like it, it, the concept of it is good. Of course. Right? I just don't like that. I feel like your vote only counts if you live in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, or Florida. Right. That's that's exactly it. That's the part that's very like, like I can't understand it because that hasn't been my concept of this country until now. You know, and I've never gotten like, you know, knee deep into politics and really peel back the layers until this year, and never ever felt more affected by it than ever at the same time. Whether it's the college conversation and you know the future of you know my kids or just us, right? You know, like real estate. It's it's just crazy. It's really, really a strange time. Oh, that's well put. But uh, all right, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Folks you. want to find, uh, get in touch with you, Tim. Uh, they're looking for kitchens, bathrooms, mirrors. How can they do that? Best way is uh, Instagram at Imperial KB. Sweet. Awesome. And next time you're up in Boston, hopefully at some point in the next year or two, hit us up and we'll grab a beer. Sure, guys. Thank I'm- you. All right, everybody. Thanks for liking, subscribing, following, sharing, all that good stuff. We appreciate it. So keep it going. Yeah, we want to get some ad sponsors, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe. Who knows? So yeah, thanks for sharing, everybody. Catch, catch you all soon. All right. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>